0: This morning's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 16. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 16. Now the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality, immorality is occurring, Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say... It is good for them to stay unmarried as I do but if they cannot control themselves they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion To the married I give this command not I but the Lord A wife must not separate from her husband but if she does she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and a wife sorry and a husband must not divorce his wife the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as, as it is, they are holy." But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife?
1: It might be wise to keep that part of the Bible open, although being a public talk will be a little bit all over the place, but that is the passage we'll come back to in a little while. Um, how about I pray for us as we think about another question that people live by? Let's pray. Another statement people live by, rather. Heavenly Father, we ask that in everything we would be living to give glory to you. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be dis- distracted by the world around us not living for you we pray that in the area of relationships, we pray that we would stand out as your people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're spending three weeks thinking about sayings that people live by, sayings that people make their big decisions based on. The first one was, so long as you're happy. That's the main thing. Last week was, be true to yourself. And this week, well, it's less of a saying that people live by. It's more of a a thought bubble. It's more something that we say to ourselves. Not many people actually say this one out loud. If only I could meet the right person. If only I could meet the right person. You might say that out loud, but I think more often it's said to ourselves. The quest for the perfect relationship, it's something that young people spend a lot of time thinking about. Maybe particularly at the end of a year when you've got formals and semi-formals and who are you going to take and all that sort of stuff, they spend a lot of time thinking about who the right person might be. But it's not just the young people, is it? It's older people too. Um, Those who have had a relationship end are very quick to feel the pressure to find the right person again. And many who are in a relationship spend their time wanting their partner to be the right person. And there's a lot of people of all ages who are single but would rather not be. If only I could meet the right person. Then there's the way that we kind of live out this statement in other people, you know, matchmaking for your friends. So if only you could find the right person. It's the kind of area where grandparents are particularly strong. They know how to play their hand on this one. Um, Grandparents saying, God's got a special someone out there for you. There's pressure to find the right person. If only I could meet the right person. Once you have met the right person, well, I think the saying tweaks a little bit, changes a little bit. It transforms into showing the world that you've got the right person, that you've met the right person, that he or she is it. Um, Our efforts move from uh, looking the part to lure the lover to looking the part to impress our friends and our family. Or maybe we have a little more modest goal of trying to convince ourselves That, in fact, we are happy now that we've met the right person. The telltale of signs, I think, of our obsession with relationships, they're everywhere. It's all over your television screen, and these days you can watch things on catch-up TV. So I did a little bit of research. I I opened up those catch-up TV apps. Don't worry, I didn't watch any of these. I just looked through the titles. Trust me, you don't want to watch all this. Channel 10, um, they're playing uh, relationship-type stuff with The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and The Bachelor in Paradise. Watch all that, and that may satisfy some of your desire for reality relationships, just to keep you thinking about these things. Um, But if that's not for you, then you can turn to Channel 9. 9 now has Dating Naked, Date Night, Love Island, Love Island, USA, Love Island, UK, Married at First Sight, Married at First Sight, New Zealand, Naked Attraction, Take Me Out. That's alphabetical order, by the way. It's not by order of preference, and I'm certainly not going to watch any of that. But then I reckon Channel 7 trumps it. You go to Channel 7, 7 Plus, Are You the One, Beauty and the Geek, Bride and Prejudice, Bring Sexy Back, Ex on the Beach, Farmer Wants a Wife, First Dates, My Great Big Live Wedding, Seven Year Switch, temptation you get my point it's everywhere our entertainment spent watching reality relationships what I'm thinking is what you watch does change the way you talk does shape the way you think and so those conversations at school at lunchtime talking about the latest show blurring into talking about the boys or talking about the girls it all gets all mixed in together doesn't it What's on offer by way of of entertainment would indicate that the quest for the right person is high on our agenda Um, and probably keeps going on even once you've met someone. It seems the quest might even continue. So what do people mean when they say, if only I could meet the right person? As we've looked at each of these sayings, we've we've thought, what, what, what do people mean when they say this thing? What does the Bible have to say and where does that leave us? What do people mean when they say, if only I could meet the right person? I think perhaps there's a feeling of being incomplete. So if you could meet the right person, then you will be complete. You'll be whole. Um, Maybe there's the expectation that when you do meet the right person, everything will just fall into place because they're the right person and there'll be no effort required. This relationship will just be perfect. You'll be happily You'll, you'll live happily ever after in some romantic kind of way. If only I could meet the right person, quite often it's based on this idealistic expectation that there is only one right person out there, only one person perfect for you. And your Christian grandmother says it as, in this way, God's got a special someone for you. This expectation that there is only one right person out there who will be able to keep you happy. But is that true? Or is it just an unfortunate twist that comes with wanting romantic relationship and building it up to this idea of perfection that out there somewhere is the perfect match? What do we mean when we say, if only I could meet the right person? Well, at very least, we're saying relationships are extremely important, at very least. So important that sadly... I think relationships can become our obsession and our idol, the thing that we live for, the thing that we throw all our effort and our energy into as we pursue this perfect relationship. And for those who are married or are in a relationship, I think we can idolise our marriage or that relationship and make it the priority over everything else. Our saying today is, One that we say to ourselves, it's not one that you necessarily say out loud. If only I could meet the right person. And the sermon outline, we've talked a bit about what that might mean as people say it. Second thing is, what does the Bible have to say that cuts across this? And I think you might have detected a bit of a pattern over the last two weeks. You go back to Genesis, because in Genesis, in Genesis chapters one and two, relationship is part of God's good design for his creation and his creatures. As men and women, we are made in God's image. Part of being made in God's image involves that distinction, men and women. When Adam was alone in the garden, God says it's not good for him to be alone and makes a helper suitable for him. It's like you look at that and we are designed for companionship to need it, to give it. We're designed for companionship. And so the quest... um, for relationship, what's to be expected? Because it's built into us. It's a good thing. There's something good about relationships and about marriage. But as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, you keep reading in Genesis and you come to chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they disobey God, and the consequence of that means that as God judges the world, we live in a fallen, broken world. So in Genesis 3, that teamwork, that partnership, that companionship between the man and the woman, it's broken it's a strain and it's a struggle. And through the rest of the the Old Testament, you watch these fallen relationships, these fallen, broken relationships play out. For example, think about Abraham and Sarah. Our attention is drawn to them because they're mentioned and drawn out for us. Abraham and Sarah, they have difficulty having kids. Abraham at, at, at one point passes Sarah off as his sister. Weird thing to do. And then, um, Sarah gives Abraham her maidservant to start a family. This is just weird kind of broken relationship stuff happening. Deeper into the Old Testament, you come across David and Bathsheba, a horrible case of adultery that then leads to murder to cover up the adultery. Then you have Solomon with hundreds of wives and concubines. As you read through the rest of the Old Testament from Genesis on, you see um, relationships played out warts and all. Song of Songs gives a glimpse at what the joy of a a good relationship might be like. Proverbs 31 paints the picture of a godly woman. Right through the Proverbs, there's warnings and instructions to men to be self controlled. Proverbs 21, verse 9, declares it's better to live on the corner of a rooftop than to be in a house with a nagging wife. There's all sorts of wisdom in the Old Testament. The Old Testament shows us human relationships in a fallen world. And then you come to the New Testament. And When you hit the New Testament, it dismantles the idea that relationships are everything, takes it apart. Jesus shatters the idea of finding the right person and living happily ever after. Jesus shatters that idea of happy ever after by saying there's no marriage in heaven. Don't believe me? Have a look at Matthew chapter twenty-two, verse thirty. In your own time, it comes in the context of the Sadducees, who don't believe in life after, or the, don't believe in the resurrection. Um, that's why they're sad, you see. That's the old joke. And they make up this scenario. They come to Jesus and they say, "What about this woman who's married multiple men in the afterlife, or in the in the resurrection? Who's she married to?" And Jesus' response is basically, "Well, there's no marriage in heaven. Jo- just join the dots for a minute." No marriage in the resurrection. That means there's no happily ever after. The best you can hope for is happy till death do us part. And then there's a whole lot of eternity to think about after that. This happy ever after is a bit imaginary when you look at at that point of view. Join the dots. Marriage is not everything. If only I can meet the right person, well, it's a fairly short-sighted game plan, isn't it? If you're only worried about this life when you've actually got eternity to contemplate. Still think about the New Testament, what it has to say about our statement, if only I could meet the right person. When you go to Ephesians 5, you read through that passage, which everyone goes to to think about marriage, and what you discover there is that actually the perfect marriage is not even a human one. The perfect marriage is the marriage between Christ and his church. Our human marriages are only ever going to be a reflection of that. The perfect marriage, it's not a human one. The one that matters is the marriage between Christ and the church. So there's no marriage in heaven. There's a more important marriage than the human ones. You put those two statements together and you can see that the New Testament torpedoes our obsession with relationship. Still looking across the New Testament and still thinking about relationships, there's any number of passages through the New Testament that warn against sexual immorality. So over the last few weeks, we've seen this idea that as Christians, um, we want to live for God. And so we are at war with our sinful nature. The spirit working in us means we're at war with our sinful nature. And there's all these warnings through the New Testament not to be caught up in sexual immorality. As Christians, we war against our sinful nature and our sinful capacity to distort God's good idea of relationship. Being godly is what matters, is what you see in the New Testament, Living for God is what matters, more than satisfying your feelings, um, more than meeting your perceived needs, and more than maybe meeting your distorted desires. New Testament, it gives us cause to rethink relationships, doesn't it? If only I could meet the right person, well, really, it can be a distraction, can't it, from what really matters, living for Jesus. So we're thinking about what the Bible says. Let's look a bit closer at the passage that was read for us. So, Hopefully you've still got it in front of you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and as is the risk with topical sermons, we're just going to land in this passage without much context. A little bit of context, though, when you look at verse 1, you'll see what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's addressing questions which the Corinthian Christians have asked. And reading between the lines, it seems like there may be an expectation that a a married couple might be more holy if they can abstain from sex, to which Paul says in verse 2 to 5, no, not true and don't deprive each other but from there he goes on to to say a number of things about marriage in verse 7 have a look at verse 7 sounds there like Paul is single Um, and that's the verse that people go to when they talk about the gift of singleness I remember a, a single Christian man in Christian ministry who said that he chose to be single for the sake of the gospel it was a conscious decision that he made. But I remember him giving a warning to single people against claiming that gift of deliberately choosing to be single for the sake of the gospel, because he said it's very different to accidentally being single or being single when you rather not be. And I think that distinction is very important. I suspect there's very few who have the gift or the ability um, to remain single for the sake of the gospel. He goes on, um, as you keep reading, in verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 8, he starts giving reasons to be single. Uh, 7, verse 8, Now to the unmarried and widows I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. It's kind of like saying if you've got the choice to be single, it's a good thing to do. But in verse 9 he says you don't have to. There's no compulsion there. Um, verse 10 starts to talk about those who are married and they're told not to separate. But then he deals with a delicate Exception, um, a situation in verse 12, it sounds like a married couple where subsequently, so after being married, one of them becomes a Christian. Verse 13 says, if the unbelieving spouse chooses to stay with them, fine. But in verse 15, it says, if they choose to leave, let them go. That's huge. Can you see that being a Christian is actually more important than being married? Join the dots there. Think about it. I think the point then of verse 14 is that in this mixed marriage, Christian married to non-Christian, the Christian doesn't defile themselves by remaining in the marriage. And perhaps there's echoes of 7 verse 1 behind this, this idea of somehow being um, more sanctified. Um, And even in a mixed marriage, the kids aren't um, impure. But again, you look at that and you think, that this is not a way that we would normally think. But what matters above everything else is being holy, being godly. The fact that um, this needs to be said, that you might let your husband or your wife leave you because they don't like the fact that you're Christian. It's a big thing. And there's practical impl- implications for marriage as you think through what's important But I think there's also a warning here for those who may be considering marrying a non-Christian. If you're a Christian thinking about dating or marrying a non-Christian, look at verse 16. I think it would be wise not to. Verse 16 says, how do you know wife whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know husband whether you will save your wife? Remember, this is Paul saying, let your husband leave you if they don't like the fact that you're Christian. You don't know whether you can save them. So why would you deliberately put yourself in that situation by dating or marrying a non-Christian? You're setting yourself up for massive struggles. Keeping on working through the passage, look ahead at verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Read that again. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not. There's a kind of an urgency about being a Christian. There's something more important than anything else. So if you're married, he says, live as if you're not. There's hyperbole in the way that he's speaking. It's a bit, of like, a bit like the way Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. It's hyperbole. But you get the point, don't you? Um It's not just marriage he's picking on. So you read on, verse 29, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short from now on. Those who have wives should live as though they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them for this world in its present form is passing away. And on it goes, urging the Corinthians, urging us to be living for Jesus over and above everything else in this life, on this earth. Living for Jesus is the most important thing. So the saying for today is one um, we might catch ourselves saying to ourselves, if only I could meet the right person. We've thought a bit about what people mean when they say that. We've had a look at what the Bible says. Where does it leave us as you put all this together? I think the biggest take-home is do not let relationships be your idol. Beware of obsessing over the way other people or a particular person thinks about you. Beware of obsessing about your looks. Beware of finding your significance in the approval or the affection of another person. Our identity as Christians comes from who we are in Jesus, not what other people think of us, not even what a special person thinks of us. And if you're distracted from that, then Go back and read Colossians 3, 1 to 4, and let it sink in. Colossians 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. As Christians, our life, everything that we are, is tied up with, with Jesus. We're looking forward to his return when it will all be made clear. Everything that matters is in Jesus, so keep your eyes fixed there. Our life is secure, hidden, safe with Jesus. So when it comes to human relationships, we're looking at Jesus. We want to live for him. Human relationships are a distant second, or third, or fourth. Don't make them your idol. Don't make them that your identity, your identity is not dependent on what someone else thinks about you. Who you are is tied with Jesus. So you may get married, you may not. What's more important is that you're Christian. You may have children, you may not. What's more important is that you belong to Jesus. You may have a fantastic relationship with your husband or your wife, you may not. What's more important is your relationship with Jesus. You may have a fantastic relationship with your parents. You may not. What's more important is your relationship with your father in heaven. And once you get that in, to, in place, nice and clear, then everything else falls into place. Who you are in the context of your relationships with other people is shaped by who you are in Christ. Another couple of, um, I suppose, these are just practical tips or advice or thoughts, I'm just putting it out there. Please don't listen to your grandmother or anyone else for that matter, who might tell you that Mr. Right or Miss Right is out there somewhere. In other words, don't listen to the idea that there is one perfect match for you, for at least two reasons. First reason is there's no one perfect out there. Trust me, we are all sinners. No one you meet will be that perfect person, that you've built up in your imagination, who will remember your birth date, know what flowers you like, um, who will swipe you off your feet. Well, there may be someone who comes close, but they will disappoint you time and time and time again. So that's the first reason. Don't go for that, Lice. Another reason is marriage is something you actually have to work at. So it's not about finding this perfect match and therefore everything becomes easy. Marriage is something you have to work at and keep working at. So when you get married you may be asked this do you you won't be asked this do you love her or him no you'll be asked will you love will you love are you going to keep on pouring out yourself for this person love is it's not a feeling it's an act of service it shows itself in what you do and love is something you need to work on and work out as you serve your husband or your wife um this idea that You'll meet the perfect person. It is a distraction from the fact that marriage can be hard work. And just when you think you've worked it out, everything is going great, something changes. You get to a new season, if you want to call it that. Being um, married and young without kids, that's one kind of stage of being married. Then you've got to put the kids in there. Everything changes. You've got to rework everything. You've got to try loving in different ways. It's hard work. And then the kids grow into teenagers. You thought you had it under control. It's all over again. You've got to keep working on it. And then they move out. You've got an empty nest. It's another stage. And then you add into that long periods where perhaps you're out of work. Another season, another stage. Or sickness or a death in the family or deteriorating health. Love in marriage is something which you keep working at. This romantic idea that there's a perfect match out there is a massive and unhelpful distraction. So two reasons not to listen to grandma or anyone else who might tell you there is one perfect person out there. But if you're listening and thinking this through, then does that mean you could marry anybody? If there's no one perfect person, could you marry anybody? I'd say, yeah, just about, if you're prepared to work at it. You could even have an arranged marriage. It could even work. It doesn't sound romantic, but it's true. Marriage is a commitment. It's not this perfect match game. It's a commitment that you make and that you are going to serve. And as you think about it that way, that might be enough for you to think, actually, that stuff Paul says about staying single, yeah, it's got something in it. Marriage, it's a commitment. You keep working at it. You keep having to adapt. You keep having to try. Don't expect the right person to just walk in and wipe you off your feet. It doesn't go that way. Do expect to have to work hard at your relationships. And what you can say about the marriage relationship, I'd say it applies to almost all our relationships, doesn't it? It takes an effort. It takes work to stay friends with each other. But above all, as we think about this question of if only I could meet the right person, don't let's get distracted by making relationships into an idol, the thing that we live for. There is something that matters much, much, much more and that is our relationship with Jesus. Let's work at getting that right and helping each other get that right and surely everything else will fall into place behind it. Our true identity isn't the quality of our relationships and how good we are at loving our husband or our wife. That's not where we find our identity. We find our identity in Jesus. That's who we are. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us for allowing ourselves to become comfortable in a world that's not living for you. Lord, please help us to keep giving up our lives in service of you. Please help us to keep living for you in everything. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his love for us, his amazing love, that he would sacrifice his life for us. Lord, we pray that his love would shape the way that we love. Lord, please Forgive us for being distracted and please help us to live for you, we ask. We thank you for the way that you've made us in your image. Thank you for the way that that includes being men and women. Lord, we pray that you would bless the marriages in this church. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us as we work hard at making those marriages work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.